The Invincible Teams podcast is powered by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork, training, and consulting to help your team thrive in every season. If you want to have a team that makes other leaders jealous, get started by going to their website in the show notes and scheduling your free consultation today. Welcome to Invincible Teams, a podcast for team leaders and business owners who are tired of dealing with drama and politics, high turnover, and teams not meeting their potential. We know that team leaders and business owners like you are pretty much always under pressure to get the most out of your teams. And we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. Welcome back to the Invincible Teams Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mayfield. Today on the podcast, we are talking about accountability. On most teams, accountability works in one of two ways. Either the leader is a micromanager who carries the weight of the team's performance, or the leader doesn't hold the team accountable and results lag and high-performing team members leave for greener pastures, better opportunities. But these are not your only two options. You can create teams where the team members actually hold each other accountable. Today, my guest is author and consultant, Eric Coriel. Eric has a short little book called Revolutionized Teamwork, How to Create and Lead Accountable Teams. Eric's been consulting uh, on this subject for many years and has helped transform many teams and organizations. So if you don't want to carry the weight of your team's performance, staying up till 2 a.m., fixing something while the rest of your team sleeps... Or if you don't want to create a team where there's no accountability and you lose all your best people, Eric's got some real wisdom for you today. Here's my interview with Eric Coriel. Eric Coriel, welcome to Invincible Teams Podcast. How are you? Good. Good to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I... I have, have read your book that we're going to talk about here, and I love it, and I I could have probably wasted a whole highlighter on the thing because I agreed with just about every sentence that I read in it and feel like I've had a lot of those conversations with people. Um, and so I appreciate uh, the book, and I appreciate you taking the time to be on and chat about just the ideas in it a little bit. I'm glad to do so. Some important yeah. stuff to play with. For sure. Well, before we dive into that, why don't you take just a minute and introduce yourself to people that are listening. Tell us about who you are um, and what you do. Um, It's a sordid tale. Uh, Really, I used to work for a living. I got a job as a buyer right out of college. Uh, I was a medical device manufacturer. And and through my tenure there, I started to learn a lot about teams. As I started out my career, I was good at what I did, but more importantly, I was really good at sucking up to the boss. I knew what the boss wanted me to say. And (laughs) As a result, I kept getting promoted, and, and then I got to the point where all of a sudden it was no longer about what I got done, instead what my team got done, and lo and behold, my team was really good at what I was doing, telling me what they thought I wanted them to say and not saying what they really felt, and then I realized that's a problem because now we were only as good as me, which wasn't good enough, and I needed them to say what they really felt, uh, so that was really the starting point of me realizing that most teams really aren't teams, that people really are just looking to the leader, and the leader really has all the accountability. So I got lucky. I heard a few other people talk about this, read a few books, tried a few things and started to figure out, okay, what's required to get people to say what they really feel. And most importantly, what's required to get people to become accountable to each other and not just to the boss. Um, So through the next 10 years or so, I, you know, through hook and crook and failure and some successes, started to piece it all together. 
Um, and then with every new job I took on, I just, that became my priority as getting the team to become accountable and performing at high levels and got to the point where about 15 years ago, I realized this is repeatable. It's, it's predictable and it's important. Uh, I found that when I was on a really highly accountable team, work was fun. I couldn't wait to go to work every day and we were going to take over the mm. world. Right. Even though we made metal parts. Um, so <laughs> I just realized that I think my calling is to help other people create these teams. Cause I think being a leader is really hard and, and leading teams is also hard. So for the past 15 years, that's really kind of what I spent all my time doing is I get to work with a variety of different organizations and teams, helping them become, first of all, functional, but then ultimately, if they so choose, how you get that team to become accountable. Um, that's yeah. what led me to one day write the book and do what I do, I guess. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I love the hyper practical, you know, example. Well, not it's a story about you from the beginning, right? That it worked until you were in charge of the team. Yes. And then you're like, oh man, there's a problem with this. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are leading teams that probably have had that, you know, forehead slapping moment of, yeah. oh no, I don't want these people to do what I did to get here. Right. Yes. yes. I mean, I love the control and I think most leaders do, you know, the one nice thing about being a leader is you got control, right. But the downside with all that control comes all the responsibility and ultimately the accountability. Because uh, if you think about it really what it means to be accountable, people are going to either do what they say they're going to do or not. And right. it's when someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do, you're going to find out whether they're really going to act accountably or not. Some people act in ways that aren't very accountable. They make excuses, point fingers, and other people are accountable that they start doing something different until they get it fixed. Well, if at the end of the day, they don't get it done, it's almost always the leader then that's got to take the accountability from them and step in and take mm -hmm. it. You know, we call it holding people accountable, which I think is really a myth because really what I hear when someone says I'm going to hold you accountable, what I hear them saying is I'm taking it from you. And that's mm -hmm. what a typical leader will do. If someone's not getting it done on time or getting it done right, the leader's then and starts doing something different. So the desired results are happening. And that's one of the problems with being a leader. At the end of the day, at least I felt like it was all on my shoulders. I was the only one awake at two o'clock in the morning, right? And it really came down to how good I was at managing accountability and taking it and dealing with the real issues. And to be quite honest, I really wasn't that great at it. I wanted people to like me. I mean, I, all these other things were, were factoring into the equation that kept me from being really good at taking the accountability. But the way around it then became getting the team to become accountable such that if performance isn't happening, right, that they start dealing with those issues together and I didn't have to. So in some way, it was kind of a cop out, but another way yeah. it turned out, lo and behold, it worked better than having it all on me. Yeah. Well, absolutely. That shared responsibility. Um, I think people can just, you can get more done that way, right? You hear the, yes. um, I guess it's an adage of, you know, one person can go so far um, and two people together, though, can go further than the sum of the parts, right? And so when you share that responsibility, I think it has a direct impact on on the results mm -hmm. that you get, right? Um, so, you know, we're already talking about the book here and it's called Revolutionize Teamwork, How to Create and Lead Accountable Teams. Um, and, and like I said before, it's a great little read. It's not very long. I mean, I think you could knock it out in an hour. Um, yep. It's less than $5 on Kindle. So if, <laughs> if you haven't you know, jumped on that deal, um, I don't know what you're waiting for because you should. Um, but I really did love it. And, and you've already talked about several of the big concepts in it, but let's dive in a little bit more on some of those. Okay. Um, so one of the things that you talk about is three different types of teams, right? Uh, could you tell us just a little bit more about that and, and what those three types of teams are? 
Sure. So in my simplified version of things, I, I think there really are three teams. There, most teams are really not teams. I'll call them non-functioning teams, especially in the business arena. We'll have a group of people there. I'll, I'll report to the same person. We'll call that group of people a team, expect that they act like a team. But if you honestly observe that team for a period of time, you can make a pretty strong case. They're really not functioning like a team. It's a group of individuals with different accountabilities, really just looking to the leader for direction and approval and all that kind of stuff. So I would make a case it's really not even a team. So it's what I call a non-functional team. It's not an indictment on the people. Okay, they're good people with good intent, but it's not an operating team. Then there are those groups of people that will actually what I'll call is a functional team. And there are certain characteristics that make a team functional. But then there's one step further, and that's what I'll call an accountable team. So to get a team to function, what I've come to believe is five things need to happen. Uh, there needs to be a real clear purpose. Uh, you know, in sports, a lot of these things just happen naturally. Like we're here to score more points, win more games, win the championship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Business is not always that simple. I'll go into a team and I'll ask everybody, pull out a blank sheet of paper, write down what you think the purpose of the team is. And I'll get mm-hmm. six different answers. And so very often well, the starting point that's usually missing is that there isn't clarity around exactly what the team is accountable for. So what's the purpose of the team? Second thing you need to be a functional team is you need metrics. You need a way of knowing whether or not the team is successfully achieving that purpose. Yet you go into a lot of teams, ask everybody individually, hey, how's the team doing? You'll usually get three or four different answers. Uh, again, sports, it's easy. There's a scoreboard. You, you see it. Third thing you need to have a functional team is competent people. I have yet to experience a functional team that tolerated incompetence. But at the same time, when I talk to people about their best teams or the highest performing teams, I rarely hear people talk to me about having a bunch of superstars. I mean, I used to think if I had a bunch of really A-plus players that have a great team. Turns out that doesn't guarantee anything. But you do need competence. Fourth thing is you need capable processes. You need clearly defined roles and responsibilities. You need good communication. You need to know what decisions you can and cannot make. Those are all the processes that enable a team to be successful. And if you think about it, this is what a coach does. A coach puts in the processes. This is the kind of offense we're going to run. This is the kind of defense we're going to run. You know, we're going to be in bed by 11, be in time for meetings. Here's how we're going to use the playbook. And then they get competent yeah. players to play, and away we go, right? And I think in business, we spend a lot of time on those two things, especially as a leader. Hmm. I'm worried about getting the right people on the bus and improving processes. Hmm. So while those are all important, in my experience, they are not the most important thing. The most important thing by far, if you want to get a group of people to function like a team, is there has to be what I'll call a shared fate. And by mm-hmm. shared fate, I mean what happens to one happens to all. And what mm-hmm. makes a group of people a team, in my experience, is the existence of a real and meaningful shared fate. Any group of people can survive in a low-stress, low-anxiety environment, function together until there's any kind of pressure and anxiety. And when there's pressure and anxiety applied without that shared fate, you'll watch that team fracture in front of your very eyes. But what makes a team strong, especially under adversity, is the existence of that shared fate. Simple examples are if you ever played sports at all, if someone's late for practice, who runs? You know, everybody. You know, if you look at any military (laughs) training, the first three months is called basic training. And all they're really doing is breaking you down and reconnecting you as a team through the use of shared fate. So the experience of what happens to one happens to all. Everybody loses their hair. They all wear the same clothes. And and everything they do is to build shared fate. So the stronger you need a team to be, the greater the shared fate you have to build. So in my experience, if you want a group of people that actually function like a team, those are the five things you need to get in place. The degree with which you're missing one or more of those will be the same degree you'll watch that team struggle to function like a team. But of the five, yeah. shared fate's the most important. Um, if you want great examples of shared fate, uh, watch Miracle on Ice, uh, Remember the Titans, Saving Private Ryan. They're all yeah. examples of teams that 
were probably under talented, but performed at high levels because the leader knew how to build right. a shared Right. At that point, you'll get a group of people that will tend to function like a team. But the problem is, is the leader can still have all the accountability. So if you want that functional team to become the third type of team, which I will call an accountable team, I think one more thing needs to happen. And the one thing that I think separates accountable teams from functional teams is that on accountable teams, they deal with all their real issues together. And mm -hmm. by that, I mean any issue, which is a real issue, any issue that affects the team's ability to achieve their purpose is now dealt with by the team. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about it, if you're asking a team to be accountable, okay, going back to what it means to be accountable, if we're not getting the desired results, we do something different. So if a team right. is accountable for achieving something and something is getting in the way of them achieving it, then by definition, if they're going to be accountable, they have to start dealing with those issues. And that's what a right. teams do. Right. The good news is most issues aren't real, right? If someone's got bad breath. We don't need to bring the whole team together and talk about their bad breath. <laughs> not affecting yeah. our ability to be successful. But if someone's not equally invested in the team, they're not behaving by the same values and standards which we agreed to. Or most mm -hmm. importantly, if someone's not performing, those are all real issues. And on accountable teams, those teams will deal with those issues. But in my experience, most teams do just the opposite. I think most teams get together and we actually collude to avoid talking about our real issues. <laughs> yes. We'll talk about our real issues in the meeting after the meeting, in the bars, in the yes. bathrooms, in the hallways. And we walk out of most meetings saying that was a waste of time. And it almost always is because we set a deal with each other that says we're not going to talk about these things. Right. Um, but on accountable teams, if you've ever been on a really accountable team, you'll realize, man, when something got in the way of us being successful, we didn't ignore it. We didn't talk about each other's back. We didn't want to sit around waiting for the leader, the boss, the coach to solve our problems. Instead, we talk to each other, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. sometimes as a group. And when a team does that, that's when it becomes accountable. And it's not going to happen mm -hmm. unless you have those first five things in place. But once you have that in place and you get people to do that, then you get all the good stuff where people say, boy, we trusted yeah. each other. We had each other's back and we picked each other up and, and all the characteristics of a truly high performing team. But that only comes when you start to become an accountable team. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me tell you about um, my day today before you and I got on this call, just so you can <laughs> see. Um, you know, what, why I'm so excited about this content. So I spent, um, the first couple hours of my day on a call with a team. Um, it's a, a company in uh, Washington state and we were working through just some issues with them. And we identified that on their team, their biggest struggle, they think their biggest struggle is accountability, right? That, that was literally the word that we used. Uh, and so we talked about what it means to have Peer accountability is the the phrase yeah. that we use. Okay. Um, and so so that was the first part of my day. And then uh, just before I jumped on a call with you, I was talking with another team that they're kind of the um, the office administration team for an organization that um, is all over the country. And we were talking with them about having that um, that clear and common purpose, right? About the idea of mission and just why that's so important uh, to have people understand what the mission is. And it was so funny because this organization, I don't know that I know of any other organizations that are so clear and um, how often they talk about the mission and the purpose that they're supposed to, to be on. Um, and even that organization, when I asked them to tell me what the mission was, the people on that call struggled with that question. Right. Um, and it's like the best 
organization that I know about this. Mm-hmm. And so I've had that conversation, I think probably seven times in the last uh, month with different teams. And it's always, you know, the deer in the headlights look like, what's your mission? And it's like, dang it. It's on the wall. It's in the, the new employee manual. Right. But not knowing it, um, you can't rally around something you don't know. Right. Sure, um, and so, yeah, those are huge issues uh, and all those things are, but out of those seven characteristics, the one that I find most compelling that I want you to talk a little bit more about is that one of a shared fate. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is so, um, so interesting and critical. Um, so if you can expand on that a little bit more, what does it look like for a team uh, to have a shared fate? And even more, you said the best uh, leaders, uh, I don't know exactly how you phrased it, but you basically said something along the lines of the best leaders know how to create a shared mm-hmm. fate for their teams. Yep. How do leaders do that? What's that look like? Sure. So and there's a subtle distinction here and you, you kind of took hit upon it when you talk about purpose. So you know, as you talk about company mission, you know, and you're right, I have my same experience too. People very rarely know the mission. But when you look at a team, you know, it's, it's always a, what is this team here to do? And the team's purpose is very rarely the company's mission. We play mm. a part inside the context of the mission. So maybe our right. purpose is to manage our cash or our purpose is to generate sales or whatever it is, right? So having that purpose is that first point, but shared fate's different and often gets confused with it. So we're here to achieve that purpose. The shared fate is what the experience of what happens to one happens to all. Okay. So by shared fate, what it means is, is that we either win or lose together. You know, that, that I, I experience the same thing my teammates do. It's not that we lost, but I paid great. I played great. And I genuinely believe it's the leader's job then to build shared fate, to create shared fate on a team. And it's also the starting point of deciding whether I really even want a team. A lot of times all the sales manager call me up and say, Eric, I want you to work on my sales team. And I'm like, okay, why? And they're like, well, teams outperform individuals. I'm like, not always, but keep talking. Well, I got four <laughs> salespeople. I got Andy's in charge of the North and Beth has got the South and Mary's got the East and Frank's got the West, right? And I'm like, okay, well, how do you pay them? Well, they get a base pay, but they get a pretty big commission check based upon the sales they generate in their respective geographies. Okay. Uh-huh. Want to be a better team? Well, Yeah. Simple. Take the commissions, add them up, divide by four, pay them the same. Oh, I can't do that. Mary's my (laughs) rock star. Frank's brand new. Mary's going to be giving money to Frank that Mary earned. That's not fair. Do you want Mary helping Frank or not? If you do, you better create a shared fate and you give them a chance to influence each other. And then they're going to start to function like a team. But you may decide, you know what? I really don't care. I just want Mary worrying about the South, Frank worrying about the West. In which case I would say, don't sweat the team. But if you want the team to act like a team, then I got to create a shared fate. The stronger I need that team to be, the greater the shared fate I have to build. And mm. so it's from a, your, your point about the leader. How does the leader do that? There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, and it really starts, I think, with how the leader thinks about their team. And my great wake-up call came about 12 years ago. I'd just broken out on my own, had a CEO up in Minnesota call me up. said, Eric, I'm really stuck in my executive team. Um, they're just not functioning very well together. I hear you do this kind of stuff. Can you help? I'm like, I don't know. I'll tell me a little bit about how you function. <laughs> he goes, well, we get together once a month. We have a half-day manager's meeting, but I meet with each of them individually, maybe once or twice each week. I'm like, Chuck, I think I know the problem. It's like, what's that? I'm like, you're not treating like a team. Because imagine I'm the CEO, right? And I got my brain trust and, you know, and 
John's in charge of sales and, you know, Steve's got operations and, you know, Mary Beth has got finance and I got my marketing guy, my HR guy, right? So I'm the CEO and I'm looking at the reports and I'm realizing, wow, sales are dropping. We're in trouble. So I will tend to do what most CEOs will do. They'll bring the brain trust together, turn to the vice president of sales, John, then rip them to shreds for the first five minutes of the meeting. Hmm. Well, deep down, what do you think the rest of everyone else in that team is thinking? Thank goodness I'm not John, right? Note to self, don't do what <laughs> yeah. John did. You know, John who, right? Versus I bring the team together and say, guys, we set a budget of 42 million. We're on pace to do 34. I need you guys to get your act together and get this ship right. And we're going to have to start engaging some pretty serious cost reduction. And yeah. I can't guarantee everybody's safety. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I need you to feel the difference because now all of a sudden, wow, we're in this together. And so I'm starting right. to treat you like a team because as a leader, I'd say, well, you got sales, you got operations, you got finance, you have HR. And I treated you that way and then wondered why you didn't act like a team. Right. Well, it's because I wasn't treating you like a team. So in order to make it happen, it starts with how do I think about my team? Do I think about them as a group of individuals, entirely different accountabilities? Or do I think about them as a group of individuals that are here to achieve something together? Right. When I start doing that, I will start to do the things that will build the shared faith. I will look to them as a team to deliver on that set of metrics together. I will start putting their offices together. You want to build shared fate real quick. When you, you know, come out of the COVID experience, go back to the office, tell your team that we're all going to work on this conference room for the next eight weeks together. Bring your laptops. Instantaneous yeah. shared fate. Common enemy mm. creates shared fate. Doing something that's meaningful to everybody creates shared fate. Uh, you can use compensation to create shared fate. Going through difficult situations creates shared fate. COVID created shared fate. You know, it's an experience that we all had to go mm -hmm. through in our own way, right? But it was kind of a what happened to one happened to all in some ways. So things like that can create shared fate. Your job as a leader is really just to dial it up to the degree with which you need it to be. Right? Yeah. I'll tell a quick story as a perfect illustration of it. A good friend of mine has got five kids. goes back a number of years. I'm sitting on his deck and watching all five of his kids tear around the backyard. And it occurs to me in that moment, like, they're all really good kids. Like, how did you pull this off? So he starts explaining the parenting thing to me because he keeps insisting I'm not one because I've only got one kid. He's like, you're not really a parent until <laughs> you have two, right? But once you get to three, now you're outnumbered and then you're in zone. But by the time you get to five, you kind of have to resort to extraordinary measures. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what's that? And he goes, well, we, my Beth and, Beth and I, this is his wife, decided that the only way we're going to survive having five kids is to treat them like a team. I'm like, well, how do you do that? It was simple. Whenever any one of them acts out, we punish all five the same. I'm like, you what? He's like, oh, works like a charm. He goes, think about it. If Sophia starts acting out right now, what are the rest going to do? I'm like, well, I guess they're going to go corral her because they don't want to get in trouble. He goes, exactly. In fact, yeah. Beth had just grounded their oldest kid, Cody, for two days. And all of a sudden it occurred to her, well, the rest of them didn't do it. They all knew about it. So she grounded them all. And I'm like, that's nuts. He's like, no, it's what you teach. We want them to function like a team. We treat them like yes. a team. Yes. So that's really what a leader needs to do if they want them to, to have that shared faith. Well, I, I love that. And like, not just for the business stuff, but for family. Uh, and, and, you know, this is maybe outside the scope of this podcast, but um, that's how we, uh, we are and want to be as well. There's even an organization we're involved with called family teams and it's that mm. exact idea. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, it's super, super great. And I love that. Um you know, what strikes me with this conversation as well is, you know, if we roll it back to that executive team, you're talking about a $42 million budget and all that stuff. Um, that probably hits home for some people, but other people are like 
42 million. What are you talking about? That's not the world I live in. Right. Um, a lot of the teams I work with tend to be a lot smaller organizations than that. And so I wonder about some smaller scale stuff. Um, here's one example that I'd love to get your thoughts on. Uh, I had this conversation with someone recently because we were talking about, um, incentivizing team performance over incentivizing individual performance. And the topic came up of, you know, employee of the week, employee of the month kind of awards or certificates. Are those more damaging than they are helpful? Yeah. So again, it comes down to what is it you want, right? So if you really, what you're looking for is a team to become accountable to each other. I wouldn't put much emphasis or priority in words like that because I don't really care if one person is knocking out of the park or not. What I care about is the team achieving its expectations. So if that's my focal point, then I'd probably put less prioritization on that and more prioritization as a team being successful. If at the end of the day, I'm really not focused on creating an accountable team, sure, then do the employee of the month and all that kind of great stuff. It's really what it is you're trying to achieve. You know, but, but great coaches as much as sometimes he drives me nuts, but Bill Belichick is a master at creating shared fate, right? And uh -huh. will not allow a player to highlight themselves, all that kind of stuff. Any of that kind of behavior is just not tolerated. It's, it's not about individual performance. It's about whether we want or not. And so as you really say, hey, I want that team to be accountable, then I don't even think about those kinds of things because – if, if someone's doing great, well, part of being great is you're picking your teammates up, you know, and mm. so I, I don't care how talented you are. Your job then is to help everyone else become better. And if someone's mm. you know, not performing, got to go help them out, right? Um, and individual awards tend to take the focus away from that. And so I, I tend not to encourage that if what you're trying to create is that accountable team. Yeah. Now you keep using the phrases like if you're trying to create a team, mm -hmm. and, and this is a really interesting thing too, and you're talking about that fictional sales team or whatever. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I get that what you're saying, like maybe not all teams quote need to be teams. Mm -hmm. um, so how does a leader know if they need to make their team into an actual team or if it's okay, if they're just a group of individuals? Yeah. So it's all about the outcomes you're looking for and what's the best way to get to that outcome. Uh, and a lot of it, I really think, comes back to taking a step back and looking at your business and saying, in order for us to succeed, um, what's the best way for us to operate? Because I think as leaders, you know, you got to figure out what's the best structure that's going to deliver the best results or put my employees in the best position to be successful. So there's no clear cut, I think, answer of, of deciding what's right or wrong. But I think what you want to do is, is give yourself a context for making that decision because, you know, mm -hmm. Highly performing teams have their downsides too. I mean, I, you know, so it, you know, as a leader, you're going to lose control. And there's a lot of things that, that aren't always easy or good about having high performing teams. On the flip side, you know, very hierarchical organizations that don't have teams have upsides and downsides as well. Yes, I get the control, but now that the results aren't going to be as good as what the leader is, right? So mm. I think it really comes down to a few key things you need to think about. How close do I want the decision making to the customer? How important is it that we function well together to achieve our results? Okay. Um, how important is it that we eliminate kind of the waste in the middle? And it, it, it just, and it's bare bones. Most organizations are the hierarchical military model, right? And, and which means mm -hmm. the thinking's done at the top, the doing's done at the quote unquote bottom. And in the middle, management really exists to hold everybody accountable. 
and, and that mm-hmm. creates what I'll call very leader-led accountable things, right? So if the, the frontline employees get the job done, the manager steps in, takes the accountability. They're not getting the job done. The, you know, the leader steps in and takes it. The good news is you can move very fast. You can have very rigid, rigid processes. I mean, there, there are certain advantages of doing that. You know, the, if you look at the military right. back in World War One, World War Two, made sense. Today, yeah, it's, it's a very right? Yeah, what's it what? It's efficient, right? It's efficient, very efficient, yeah. no question. Today's world, the military will tell you too, you know, we need to have the people on the front line making the decisions, we need to be more responsive. Well, that hierarchical model is very slow. There's a really good book written called The Team of Teams, which talked about how that structure really hurt us during the Iraqi war. So if you as a leader are saying, boy, I, I really don't want my employees looking up to me, I want them looking towards the customer, if I want them functioning better together. Um, I want them to be more agile, then I'm going to probably move towards the accountable team model. As a leader, the downside is I'm going to have to let go of some control. It's it's no different than like a coach. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I love talking to coaches and every coach at some point in time will tell me the same thing. I'll say, you know, Eric, during the game, it's a pretty helpless feeling. You want to run out there and tell them what to do or do it for them, but you can't. I mean, imagine right. if they could. Every time it was a critical play, the coaching staff ran out in the field and took over. And the players would start to feel pretty demoralized. You know, mm. That doesn't happen, does it? Unless we're at work. At work, if someone got to make sure this gets done, it gets done right. As a leader, I jump in, I take it, I make sure it happens, right? But as I my team becomes accountable, I can't do that. Can't step in and always save the day. And that's hard. I mean, it's one thing if I'm coaching little league or soccer, right? Uh, it's another thing when it's my job and it's my paycheck and it's my reputation. So if that team fails, it reflects right. on me. Uh, and so uh, getting comfortable with that is not an easy thing to do. So there's downsides to it as well. In as much too that if I'm going to have an accountable team, it requires a higher level of adulthood. Because on a typical <laughs> team, you know, if I'm on my team and I'm struggling with my teammate, Harry, well, ultimately, I'm going to run to mom and say, deal with Harry. Well, now yeah. if we got an accountable team, I got to go talk to my friend Harry and have that conversation. And that's terrifying for a lot of people. Right. Um, so there's downsides to it, too. But you really got to start with, hey, what's best for the organization? What will most enable us to get the desired results? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about that and you mentioned earlier, uh, I think, Remember the Titans, which I hadn't thought about that movie in a long time. But that's exactly what happens in that. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember the 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 big, you know, drag out conflict they had in the locker room where they were getting everybody on the same page and getting their issues out. And, and even though it's just a movie, I mean, the illustration holds true, right? When you work that stuff out at a foundational level, it translates into something greater later on. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I love that, that example, you know, you may have talked about this already, um, but just in your experience, as you've worked with different teams, different leaders, um, what is it that you see team leaders or business owners or whoever it is, you know, at the top, quote unquote, uh, getting wrong in the area of accountability? Oh, um, that's a big question. Um, so <laughs> several things. I, so I really, it comes down to me what it means to be accountable. And so, and I did kind of allude to this before, but you know, the traditional definition of accountability means, hey, you do what you say you're going to do in the time frame you said you do it. 
And that's how we tend to define countable, right? Do what you say you're going to do in the time frame you say you do it. If I had a dollar every time a leader turned to me and said, boy, if they only do what they're supposed to, I, you know, I wouldn't have any problems, right? Um, and so while we hold on to that as a definition of accountability, my realization is that no one always does what they're supposed to do in the time frame they said they do it. It's mm-hmm. really at that moment when they don't, you're going to find out whether they act accountably or not. Right. Some people are not accountable. They point fingers, make excuses. Some people are. Right. But when that individual doesn't fix the problem, the leader has to step in and take it. Right. Because someone then has got to start doing something different. And usually it's the leader. So almost by default, we create what's called leader led accountability. So I used to think that's bad, but I came finally come to realize, no, it has to happen. Someone has got to step in and take it. The myth is the whole notion that I'm holding someone accountable. Because when someone says I'm holding you accountable, all they're really saying is I'm just taking accountability from you. So mm-hmm. a good leader will step in and say, hey, we're not getting desired results. Something needs to change, right? Mm-hmm. Now, at that point, I got one or two ways of going about this. I can take it myself, and I'm going to make sure that it happens, okay? And mm-hmm. if I do it too much, now I become a micromanager and all those kinds of things. But you know what? I'm guaranteeing the results. So we tend to look at a leader like that and say, hey, you know, it's a good leader that, you know, performance will happen because that leader is going to make sure. The problem is at that point, now you're only good as the leader and the, the whole world is on the leader's shoulders. They're exhausted mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to scale. Uh, yep. and, and now, you know, it's just become very leader dependent. In fact, the more leader dependent a team becomes, the weaker and lazier they become, which just reinforces. Mm-hmm. So that's one way around managing accountability. Okay. Another way is to do nothing and not address the issues, at which point now it's, that's a disaster. And everyone's looking at the leader saying, the leader's supposed to deal with it. I don't. Right? So that's the other end of the spectrum. And I'll tell you, that's probably the least helpful. Mm. The third option is to get the team to manage the accountability so the leader doesn't have to, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Where I think I watch leaders struggle is they don't have clarity around what they're trying to do with accountability. I know mm. a lot of leaders who really don't address the issues and thinking they're managing the accountability. They're not. I know a lot of leaders who are taking all the accountability and getting frustrated because their teams aren't being accountable. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think the really the, the starting point for a leader is to decide what am I going to be accountable for versus what I want the team to be accountable for, and then mm-hmm. being true to that decision. So if I'm going to say to the team, I want you to be accountable for this, and I'm going to put them in a position to manage that accountability, but I'm going to let go and then I'm going to do it, and I'll keep what yeah. I need to keep. And I think. A lot of times leaders get stuck because they don't really think that through, aren't consistent and aren't clear uh, around who's got what accountability and how we're going to manage it. Yeah. Well, so as you give those different options, you know, I th- if you think about them long enough, it seems like a team that holds each other accountable is the only good option, right? Because if, if you have a team where the leader is holding everybody accountable, um, it creates a very vulnerable organization right? If, you know, you're setting up a system where the leader is going to be overwhelmed, going to be overtaxed at some point, and they're going to drop the ball. uh, And the system is set up to be so reliant on that person that that's going to hurt the company, hurt the team in a pretty major way. The other side of it though, when they don't address the issues, and this is a conversation I had today, is it's you're setting people up to, to lose their teams eventually, right? Because, 
if you have a leader who doesn't hold someone accountable and the rest of the team sees that there's no accountability, then all the standards drop, right? Um, yeah. Or the people that actually do good work don't want to stick around. Yeah, right? you're absolutely right. Yeah. And so neither of those, if, if you give them any sort of consideration at all, neither of those are good options. And so the only good thing left is to have a team that holds each other accountable, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I guess the only thing I would say, if you're in a short-term situation, you know, having a leader with all the accountability, that, that can be fine. But I, I agree with you. I think in the long term, if you need to scale, um, if you want the organization to grow, if you um, need long-term success, you're much better off with an accountable team. Accountable teams can scale. They take on more work. They lead to better results because you're not so leader dependent. So I agree. Uh, I, I do yeah. think in the long term, that is, is is almost always the best way to go. Um, but it's hard. There's a lot of things that, that keep it from happening. It's, it's, it rarely happens in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one thing that uh, leaders could do to try to help make it happen for their teams is probably to pick up your book. Um, and I'm going to, that that's a professional segue right there is what that was. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to put the link to it in the show notes here so people can find that really easily. Um, but it, it really is. I mean, I this is me talking to people listening more than you right now, but um, I do highly recommend uh, this book. Again, it doesn't take you any time to read, but every um, every paragraph is, is packed with stuff that is just really, really uh, insightful and also a lot of very practical things that you could begin to implement um, really quickly. And so, um, Eric, I appreciate the conversation and you taking the time to to be on and uh, and talk about it. Uh, just give us a little, you know, parting thing here. What things are you uh, got going on right now? How can people connect with you if if they want to, you know, find find out any more information about what you do and, and anything like that? Well, yeah, it's, I, I've long lived without a website and I finally said, you know, it's, it's about time I enter the 21st century. So <laughs> uh, within a month or so, there'll be a basic website, which will, which will make it easier for me to contact me. It's called accountableteams.com. Um, but I, you can also reach me via LinkedIn or even an email address, which is my name, ecoriel. Uh, at wi.rr.com. Um, but yeah, what I do is I, I, I love what I get to do. I get to work with different teams every day, much like you do. Um, and it's fun because just like you, I'm still learning. Uh, I think yeah. I will do this till the day I die. I guess it's just, it's just fun. And I, it's, it is, it, it's fun to help other people do this uh, because once you're on that team and just work becomes so much more fun and you do greater stuff. So I think I'll play in this arena until the day I'm done. But it's fun for me just because, you know, with every team you learn new things um, and you get to share what you've learned. I'm, I'm now on the kind of the back half of the journey. So it's fun to be able to pay back all the many coaches and mentors I've had in my life that have helped me along the way. So it's kind of humbling to think that maybe I can help someone else, but uh, I think it's my duty as a human being to try and do that. So, Yeah. Well, I love that. And again, I just appreciate the time and the insight. Yeah, and so, yeah, thanks for being on. Well, my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening today to the Invincible Teams podcast. Please consider giving us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you are currently using. If you think today's content might be useful for someone you know, please consider sharing it with them. Just a reminder that the Invincible Teams podcast is brought to you by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork training and consulting to help you eliminate office drama and turnover and help you get the most out of your team. Thanks again for listening. And like we always say, we believe that every team should reach their potential. 
and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. See you next time.